Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have fitness superstar and Peloton instructor, Allie Love. She's also the CEO of the Women's Empowerment Group, Love Squad. We'll talk to her about overcoming physical setbacks, growing up in the 305, and loving the Brooklyn Nets. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose. And welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. Download the podcast. We release a new episode each Thursday. Just started this thing in September. Already top flight. And that's because of you. This week's theme is Life Cycles. If you're blessed enough, you'll go through many changes throughout your life. Change is almost certain and something we should all embrace. Albert Einstein once said, the measure of intelligence is the ability to change. Sometimes we feel stuck, like the lives we currently live are who we are. But it's never too late to start something new. You're never too old to go after the life you want. Don't be afraid to be a multi-hyphenate. If you're an accountant, doesn't mean you can't be a chef or a black belt or an artist, a comic. Life is short and you don't want to look back and regret not going for something out of fear of being a beginner. Change is good. Our next guest is the embodiment of embracing change. Allie Love rolls to stardom during the pandemic as one of Peloton's standout cycling instructors and is also the in-arena host for the Brooklyn Net Home Games. She stopped by the show to talk about embracing life's many cycles and her new women's empowerment club, Love Squad. Up next, Allie Love. If you own a Peloton or follow fitness pages on Instagram, you may know my next guest. She's a fitness powerhouse, one of the most popular in-demand cycling instructors for Peloton and CEO of the Women's Empowerment Collective called Love Squad. Please welcome Allie Love to the Renaissance Man. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jalen. What a, what an intro! I feel good. I appreciate that. So, for our audience, where did you grow up, and were you always athletic? So, for our audience, I'm actually from Miami, Florida, 305, all the way. And actually, at nine years old, I was hit by a car, almost died. And in that time, that was a transition of the doctor saying, "You know what? This girl may actually never become athletic, or you know, be an athlete, or." play in school. And so it was one of those things of managing the expectations of my parents and myself. What ended up happening was, as we all know, when I hear the word no, I try to find the yes in there somewhere. So that led me to fall in love with movement to articulate like how I was feeling. And so I fell in love with dance. And from dancing and moving in New York City after high school and going to college here, it kind of led me to fitness. Uh, But sports was a really big part of my growing up. My mother used to play basketball. So being a Miami Heat fan as a young child was just like 
was in my blood. I became a Heat Junior Jammer to get tickets because we had no money to go to the game. <laughs> and so it, it kind of like that that idea of movement, of fitness and sports was just like a part of kind of my story. It's already been a part of my narrative since that nine year old year old self had gone through that traumatic accident. And so that's how I fell in love and found myself not only in the world of sports as the host of the Brooklyn Nets, but of course, as a Peloton instructor, as someone who I'm going to use your words, which I appreciate a powerhouse in the fitness community. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, about the accident, like, what did you learn from it? What happened during that accident? How did it shape you? Like, what are some of the challenges you needed to overcome, you know, just as a student and as a young person, as you continue to evolve? Yeah, thanks for asking about this. So I recently just started sharing this story in the last year. And the reason it was because one, I just didn't really recognize the, the relevancy it had in my life until I was doing this self-awareness work when we were, you know, in, in a pandemic and I was doing all this internal work. And I realized there was a conversation that was had between my mother and I that shapes how I approach myself when it comes to not only my career, but also my, my personal life and decisions that I make. So I was at a family barbecue. My mother is a part of a huge family. And every Saturday, my family gets together. And so you wear all your cousins, like 50 cousins at somebody's house. And so we were at my aunt's house and you hear the famous noise that will call any kid's attention, no matter what they're doing, the ice cream truck. You ice cream! Yes. You, yes, you literally like, mom, can I get a dollar? You know, I don't know how much ice cream at the ice cream truck costs now. I assume it's like a million dollars. But, you know, at that time, you're like, can I get a buck? Can I get a dollar to go to the ice cream truck? And so that's exactly what happened went to get an ice cream and young Ali Love walking across the street back to my aunt's house where we're having a Saturday family barbecue. Again, very normal for us. Looked both ways as I was trained to do as a nine-year-old. And it just so happened the timing of me crossing the street and the parked car that was behind the ice cream truck, them zooming out mm. kind of just happened simultaneously. I was hit, flew up in the air, landed on the hood of the car, rolled to the grass, wow. broke my hip, uh, cracked my teeth, scarred up my entire body, rushed to the hospital. And wow. it was in this time where, you know, unfortunately, it put my family through a, a very challenging experience, put myself through a traumatic experience. And it was through that conversation that my parents had with the doctor where he was managing expectations. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to have surgery right away. So I was rushed to the hospital, but not to surgery. So I'm laying in the bed for seven days with a weight at the end of my leg, separating my femur bone from healing incorrectly, because wow. most people that break their hip are adults. It's usually older folks that fall down. So they right. didn't have the equipment right. to piece me back together. So yeah. at, as we were waiting for this, I was losing a lot of blood. And again, it was looking bleak. And so it was this time where my mom was having that conversation with the doctor. She came back in and she said something that will forever change my life. She gave me an opportunity to make a decision about my life at nine years old. I don't think I would have the fortitude, wow. the grace, nor the would be able to give a child, let alone my child, the responsibility of making this decision. But my mother did this. And so she told me, wow. she said, you can decide to let go and go on. Your father and I spoke. If that's what you want to do, because it's really hard, we understand. Or you can decide to pray to God and fight for your life. But what we know is that we can't switch places for you. And so obviously that moment was pivotal and it came up during this time of doing this internal work as an athlete, as a human uh, during the pandemic, it was like, you know what? I don't give myself and my mother enough credit that one of the things that I've never stopped doing was the fact that she thought of me enough to mm. make a decision about my life. And I decided to pray and to always fight for my life. I never stopped doing those two things. And that was a pivotal moment. And so anytime 
I've heard the word no in school. Or I've heard the word no in my career or physically where I'm like, I don't know if I could do that. I tell my own self because, you know, sometimes it could be our worst critic. I tell myself mm -hmm. no, is that I always try to take back that power, reclaim agency and find the yes in there and say, you know what, I'm going to do this and I'm going to give it my all. And so those two things help shape who I am. I always pray and I always fight for my life and making decisions for who I want to be. And I'm really inspired by that. And being a public figure, the lines sometimes get blurred because there was a long period of time in my life that I didn't talk about my relationship or lack thereof with my biological father. And I didn't know him. He wasn't in my life. And I just didn't talk about it. And then I started to realize, like me telling my story, how many other young black men grow up in single parent homes, have that pain, have that pressure to you know live in a single parent situation so you now telling your story about your accident what are some of the things as a student or as a young person that was basically rehabilitating yourself physically emotionally and psychologically what were some of the challenges you were required to overcome well I love that you share that story Jalen too because sometimes and this is what I had to recognize and it was almost a reckoning is that sometimes we look at these past situations or we look at you know the things that didn't quote unquote go right for us when we we're young adult I mean when we we're young children and we think of them as like oh I don't want anyone to pity me I don't want to be that to be a part of my narrative because that Correct. is you know it's pitiful or it's, it, mm -hmm. it encourages people to pity us and Correct. the reality is that it's actually powerful you know reclaiming those stories and saying this is a part of my narrative and I get to share it is actually powerful and I think one of the things that was really challenging, you know, coming out of the hospital is I recognized I went home and I went home to a party. Like I said, a big family, everybody at our house. And, you know, they mm -hmm. put up a hospital bed because I had to do uh, rehab, obviously, as a, as a little kid. I was homeschooled. But having my family there was encouraging to say, you know what, we've been waiting for you. We've been praying for you. Like, this is the mm -hmm. moment. And so it, it was incredible. But it was it was literally dealing with what I would say my mom would call like those internal demons, right? Those gremlins. I think Brene Brown calls it the gremlins. It's that negative self thought. It's right. that it's it's what's coming into your head that you'll never walk again. You probably won't be a runner. No kid's wow. gonna be your friend. You're you're not good enough. You almost died. You're not worth it. And one of the things that's really important, even as I talk about this and having a little bit of an epiphany with you right now, is that. Even thinking about that post-accident and that recovery and the rehabilitation is that I got very comfortable with hearing the negative stuff talk. It took a toll on me. It, it made me familiar with uh, youth depression. It made me familiar with feeling like I wasn't good enough, but it also positioned me to the fact that it's actually what I talk about a lot on the bike is that you often feel like you're lonely or you're by yourself when you have your troubles. And the reality is in the darkness, if you turn on the lights, you're going to be amongst company and you're going to be amongst right. good company because we all get there. We all get down. But just knowing that first thought may not be your best thought, right? It may be negative, but you have control over that second and third thought around who you are. And just reminding yourself that you are a part of a whole, that you get to take, again, take back that power, that you are already worth right. it, right? Mm -hmm. Understanding that confidence is a part of a skill set. It's not your self-esteem. It's not attached to your self-worth. And so mm -hmm. it put me in a position to identify the difference of, okay, I'm going to have those negative thoughts and it's okay not to be okay. But I also get, get to control what my second and third thoughts are and how I talk about myself to people Correct. and tell my story. So recently, an athlete who I'm really fond of, Naomi Osaka, is a terrific young tennis star and became a superstar anytime you beat one of the Williams sisters. 
and you have a strong voice as well. And while she was winning her championships last year, she made sure to honor so many of the victims of police brutality and or deaths. She came out and acknowledged that she would perform, but she just didn't feel comfortable talking to the media right now because she was still dealing with some anxiety or depression. And us having this conversation reminds me of her situation. So what would you say to her and or people like her that are trying to live their truth, but have the rest of the world trying to put them in a, a situation that may make them feel uncomfortable? I will say it's, it's, it is, I honor the fact that it's not an easy position. It's not easy to speak out, whether you are a public figure um, in, the, in the shape of an athlete or in social media, but more importantly, it's hard to even talk about your personal issues, especially your mental well-being, even to your close friends and family. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to honor and recognize that that it's not easy and, and, and it's, it's actually very challenging to do so. So with that being said, I actually was having this conversation with my mom. We're huge in basketball. We're huge in tennis. I also co-host the U.S. Open uh, for the past couple of years, the morning show. So it's incredible. I, and, and, and this is not shy to the NBA. Kyrie Irving also said the exact same yes. thing in a sense of like, you know what? I'm not always going to have the right things to say. I'm not always going to be well to talk to the media. I have to live my truth. And so I think, and that was something that Naomi Osaka actually reposted because I think she identified a couple months back when Kyrie made that statement. And so it's not something where, we're surprised in terms of her ability to speak out, uh, again, honoring that it takes strength and courage and it's not easy for sure. But in terms of my point of view of this approach is that it's showing the multifacetedness or the, the fact that athletes are not only human, which is a gift, not a curse, but that they're leaning into their intersectionality, that they're leaning into the right. fact that in order to be an athlete, you have to take care of your physical. We talk about being yes. physically in shape, right? That's something that mm -hmm. comes up when you're commentating, when you're, you know, mm -hmm. when you're at the table and you're talking about it, like who's there, who's ready, who's present, especially at the top of the season. But also let's not neglect when we talk about self-care, especially when it comes to someone who has to perform to the capacity of an athlete, the mental and the spiritual well-being, right? And that takes work and it's individual and it's personal. And so I think the fact that we're recognizing that this holistic approach to not only being a public figure, but being an athlete and what goes into it is mm -hmm. something that athletes are speaking out about. And I, and I, I think that it, it, it's honorable. It's again, not easy, it's honorable, but recognizing that as an individual in your community, taking care of your mental, spiritual and physical self is a priority. It's no different for, for a public figure, i.e. an Correct. athlete like Naomi Osaka. So again, commendable, honorable, not easy. And again, it sheds light on, on the athletes being more than just on the pitch, on the field, on the court. And I appreciate her vulnerability because as an athlete, so many times that people start to look at us as invincible because we're really talented at a sport and we have a lot of fans or people supporting us. And so she's a young person that's dealt with a lot of success, but also there's a lot of turbulence that people need to overcome. And again, I applaud and support her. In the NBA, as you bring up Kyrie, it reminds me also, I've been really disappointed in fan behavior. And I basically acknowledged that I don't appreciate NBA players being treated like zoo animals with people throwing things at them or spitting on them. And then I remembered that people don't treat zoo animals like that. And as an athlete and as somebody that's in NBA arenas so very often, 
how do you feel about those uh, those fan experiences that have been negative recently? I will say they're nothing shy of disappointing. And I think that it's really important that one, we continue to have conversations about it, right? Conversations, the catalyst of change. And so I know that they're different. Obviously we know their consequences and to the varying degree of consequences, I'll leave that up to those experts in, in terms of the NBA, which is what we've done so well as an organization. But the recognition that when you walk into arena, you're walking into someone's workplace, you're walking into someone's home Correct. and recognizing that when you are part of that community, whether you're a fan, a player, a part of the entertainment team, an usher, a part of the staff, whatever the case may be, you're a part of that community. And it is our obligation, not only just our social obligation, but our communal obligation to show up with respect for one another, especially mm -hmm. given we've all come off of a very challenging time universally. And so yeah. I think recognizing that not only is it disappointing, but if we flip the script a little bit, it shows us who we're not. And so that's really mm -hmm. incredible that we show while there may be, you know, they always say um, some kind of concept of there's going to be, there's always going to be something negative that happens, but what is that positive takeaway? What's the silver lining? If the silver lining is that our community is stepping up saying, uh-uh, not today, you know, giving that Matumbo finger on social exactly. in conversation saying, this is not going down like this. Mm -hmm. This is who we are not. And sometimes we have to see who we aren't to make sure we're stepping into who we are. And Correct. I think that that is the silver lining here is that while it is very disappointing, it is there is an upside for us to continue to shape the culture of the NBA, in particular to individual teams and individual organizations to say, that's not who we are. This is not the work we're put in. That's not that's not what we do when you walk into our house. Absolutely. And. Who would know better than you? Because at one point you were a Knicks dancer for three seasons. You're currently in the, the in arena host for the Brooklyn Nets. I've seen you get the crowd hype. You do a terrific job. And you from Miami and love the heat. So I have to ask you, what's the biggest difference between those experiences being in game versus being a Nick dancer? So I have to say, um, I am a fan of the Brooklyn Nets. That is my home. That is my community. Oh, I am you're owning it. I, I am, no, oh, okay. I'm not shy. <laughs> I am not shy. I don't want, I do not want okay. it to be unclear for anyone uh, okay. that listens in. Say is that I chest. am a Nets okay. through and through. And here's why. And I'll tell you why. Um, I will say my family roots. Yes. Part of the 305 Miami Heat. You know, my mother is and father is no one shy to talk trash, especially when it was Wade County. D Wade, always so much love for my brother. He's great. But you know, when it was Wade County, like, you know, even just the air of all the championships, I loved it. Being a Knicks City dancer, being a part of the New York Knicks gave me my footing into the NBA in the mm -hmm. sense of uh, it welcomed me in. It gave me that fan experience. Mm -hmm. it, it made me love who the NBA has grown in to be. But the Brooklyn Nets allowed me to be me. They gave me room to, they took a, one, they betted oh. on me. You know, Jalen, they took a, they took a risk. I'd never been a host before. And mm -hmm. they said, you know what? I'm going to bet on this girl, Allie Love. And they gave me the room and opportunity to show up and have a voice in the arena, to show up and be a part of that organization, to be a recognizable part of that organization. And so I will say, being a part of the NBA, when I look at it, I am, I of course pay homage to where I come from, being a heat junior jammer, a little dancer um, at the Miami arena, of course being a Nick City dancer, but I am I am rooted as a Brooklynette because not only are we season ticket holders, my fiance and I, but I work every game. And also we're there for the challenging times and we're there for the celebrations. And so being a part of these organizations have shaped me in such an incredible way because watching the NBA, 
when you're a part of Peloton and you're a Peloton instructor and it's new and we're growing, we're growing really fast, having the NBA that has roots for years, knowing the challenges they've gone through, but to see them always rise to the occasion and talk about how it's not perfection, it's progress, seeing the players speak out, seeing the players, mm -hmm. not only fashion icons, but also yes. someone of people that our kids can look up to is it's incredible. It's invaluable in the sense of like, we won't find this anywhere else. And so it shaped me as the woman that I want to be walking in on the court in my heels so that uh -huh. other young yes. women, other young children, other young people can mm -hmm. see this isn't too far off um, has been incredible and definitely shaped my career and how I approach the NBA and my career and our fan base. The theme for today's show is life cycles, which you and your young life have seen a few of. It doesn't seem like you're afraid to close the door in your life and career in order to open a new one. Where does that come from? And do you have any advice for people looking to change careers or people who might think they're too old to do so? Absolutely. I, the first thing that comes to mind is dreams don't have age, mm. right? There's no, you don't have a dream and you're like, oh, well, that dream's five years old. No, <laughs> they don't come with age. You can never, you, and I encourage you never to stop dreaming, right? Dreams mm. don't get old. They're just our dreams. And so for me, when I think of saying no, there's a power in saying no, there's a power in closing a door. There's also a power in understanding what it means to reclaim agency and take back your power mm -hmm. to tell your narrative, to share that story. Everything's not going to go right. And that's a part of that testimony. And so as I lean into that a little bit more, when I think of when do I say no and why, it's always understanding where am I trying to go? right? Who do I want to be? Answering those mm -hmm. questions that can be challenging. And sometimes the questions can be challenging when you got a lot of noise. I mean, you can hear the noise of New York City right now, <laughs> but you have a lot of noise externally telling yes. you who you should be, uh, what you should do, but also internally that fear of I'm not good enough. Mm -hmm. And so in order for me to, to make that decision of saying no or closing a door with the hopes that something else will come, the one thing that I do lean on is exactly what I said. Many of the partnerships and organizations that I'm a part of, whether it's Peloton, the Brooklyn Nets, being a CEO and founder of my own company around women empowerment is I lean on the fact that I'm gonna bet on me. I'm gonna bet on me in this life cycle. I have one life to live and I'm gonna bet on me. If you are someone who's tried to throw in the towel, I have to talk about mm. this, and you haven't done it yet, it's not a part of who you are. So you just gotta come to, come, to, you know, come to that realization that it's just not you. And if you're someone who's like, I don't know if I could do this. Look in the past. We are always a, we are always the example of who you are by the fruits that we bear. If you were able to figure it out before, who's to say you won't do that again? And so those are the things that I lean into is understanding that, you know what, who do I want to be? And is this aligned with who I want to be? If it's not, I have to say no. And I'm going to trust and lean into the fact that I figured it out once. I will continue to do mm -hmm. so. And knowing that throwing in the towel sounds like a cliche that I just can't subscribe right. to because I've never done it before. Well, betting on yourself like J. Cole, you seem to double down. And I've had times in my career, even when I got drafted, like I chose to wear a red and white pinstripe suit. I knew that that probably wasn't going to be the mainstream thing to do, especially if I was going to wear red gaiters. But I chose to do it. You know, I wear brooches and flowers on my jackets. I wear different glasses and different you know, hairstyles. And for you, your hair has become iconic. And the fro is definitely a part of your whole look. And you've also known for wearing fly workout outfits. Have you ever felt any pressure to look more like, i say, the other fitness structure or tame your style? No, I've never. I, I mean, I, let, me, let me not put this into like, let, let me not romanticize this. Growing up, yes, especially when I started in the NBA hosting, I actually started hosting with straight hair. 
because I was concerned that my mm. big Afro wasn't, you know, the people weren't ready. Like they would look at me and say, oh, that's not red carpet. They weren't. Ready. That's not. They weren't. You were right. Yeah. Like, and it's like coming <laughs> in. And what I wanted to do was eliminate all the barriers or so-called barriers just to get into the door to see, to make sure this is what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a part of sports, sports lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And so it was one of those things where I look back and I look at those photos and I say, you know, that's who she was. I don't have no problem with the decision I made, mm -hmm. but the reality is in order for me to be myself and to continue to have these conversations and encourage young folk to be themselves, to lean into their intersectionality, to figure out who they are and have those tough internal conversations, I had to do the same thing. And so it's me sure. again, showing up as myself. I, I let the Afro out all the time. The iconic Mohawk that I wear to heels on the court mm -hmm. to this concept of what I know why I'm there. I'm there to say, this is what the change, this is the face of the NBA. This sure. is what it looks like. And it looks like her. When yes. I get on the Peloton, I want you to know I think it's a part of to, you know, growing up, coming from, you know, a black family personally, our our southern roots in the sense of when you step out that door, you give your best. You give yes. your best when it comes to your worth ethics. You give your mm -hmm. best in terms of your best outfit that you have, Correct. right? And so that's exactly what I've carried with me is some of those southern grown roots and teachings that, you know what, I do want to show up. I do want to clip in and and be my best and feel my best. And some days when you don't feel your best, my mom used to say you got to fake it till you make it, right? Dress accordingly. <laughs> And that's exactly what I do is sometimes you're putting on an armor. You don't know, you don't know you suiting up for battle. You thought it was only Correct. in playoffs. No, it's just, <laughs> it, it could be a regular day, right? And so that's exactly what I do is I make sure that I am putting myself in a position where I feel my best. And when I don't, that I at least look my best because sometimes that really does help. And so, yeah, I let the, I let the Afro out, you know, mm -hmm. I wear the heels because that, that's what I love to do. And I dress to the two I always say to show my creative expression, who am I? Absolutely. And I like to wear that in my clothing. And so I encourage people to do that. Do not allow it to silence your voice. And if you're at that crossroad, just like I was, of, mm -hmm. do I straighten it? Do I wear it curly? Lean into with all the information you have right now, you make the best decision for you. That's what, that's what I would say. And I made the best decision at that time in my career for me that I thought was best. Mm -hmm. I would never go back and change it, but here's where I am now. But you also says something that's extremely important, not only as a professional, but as a black person in corporate America, because I've had to do this as well. When I first started, I used to wear earrings. I stopped because they were a distraction. I used to show my tattoos. Now I always wear long sleeves so they don't become a sideshow. Why? Because I still wanted to get the gig. So there is something to be said, and you mentioned this, and it's really important to fake it till you make it, right? There, there's something to that. Can you elaborate on that, please? I think the key word that you said too, and this is actually a conversation sometimes in our household, and I think about it just in general when we approach things. Anything that's going to be a distraction, you want to eliminate it. And this could be coming, not, and we can break it away from appearance, right? It's not just the distraction of what you're wearing or how you do your hair. It's anything. If you're going to get so caught up in the color of your nails, or if you didn't get your nails done, if you, you know what I mean? Like if it's going to take mm -hmm. away, whether it's there or not, of you mm -hmm. playing a game or, do, or putting time or spending time here and there, it's going to take away and detract from what your focus is, or what your goals are, then yes, it's a distraction. And you want to eliminate all distractions because the reality is, if something isn't present, will you still be you? You have a women empowerment collective called Love Squad. What is the organization's main mission? Yeah, main mission. It came out and here's where it was birthed is that concept again 
of, you know, not being in rooms where decisions were being made, right? So it came out of a lack of resources and sheer frustration as a young woman, trying to figure out what do I do with my life, right? I come from a family where the only way we knew success was if you had a vertical career, you did that one thing, you did that one thing very well. And mm -hmm. not to say that that's incorrect, because that works for many people. But I knew for me, that wasn't my story. And so when it came to figuring out those things, I recognized that I may not be able to afford tickets to go to networking events at a young age. I just didn't have it like that. Um, mm -hmm. And also just knowing that maybe there are folks out there like me who didn't want to do just one thing. And so I started to lean into that intersection. And so it was through, again, conversations. Love Squad came about me writing on my website, lovesquad.com. At the time it was mine. And now it's our, my company. I have a whole team that works on it. Mm -hmm. Just about things that I knew about, right? How to handle saying no, how to continue to rebound, how to find the yes in there somewhere, how to get up on time, how to create mm -hmm. routine and discipline. And these are the, all the things that came through ballet that came through teaching of growing up and experiences in New York City. And it was really where it, that was the birthplace of recognizing that women empowerment not only is a thing, but more mm -hmm. importantly, how do we talk about women empowerment? How do we educate it? And so the way we've done so is that we talk about two things. Our focus and our attention goes into the well-being of non-binary, non-gender conforming folk and women, right? This is what it is, your well-being. What does it mean for self-care? When should you go to the doctors? Like, how can you take care of yourself to show up every day to be that self? Sometimes it's, right. a, it's actually, you know, to even have this conversation about, what you wear or who are you or who you want to be when it comes to whether working the fact that we're talking about showing up for a job is a privilege you know yes. and it was it wasn't it's not always easy from where i come from and from many folks so it's a privilege so recognizing that privilege and offering insight around your well-being is really important the second thing is career building skills like what are those career building skills that we can focus on and then again the foundation of all this comes from making sure that it is at a low to no cost. Information and access to information right. is expensive. Yes. And so what we do at Love Squad is we offer this information on free at Love Squad on Instagram, on our website, in our newsletters. And we make sure that we open up having these conversations, real life events, and obviously virtual events now, having those virtual events where they are at a low to no cost relying on sponsorships. So we're giving access to experience from network, from my network of people mm -hmm. who have been through some things and they wanna share their stories. Again, focusing on those career building skills and the well-being of those people. So it's been incredible to see that now it's global and it's something that just was birthed out of like me looking at my life and being a little frustrated, you know, a little, a right. little ticked off about the fact that I can't afford that ticket or I can't afford to go there, at least not right now. And so how can I afford the opportunity and, and, and not only I don't want to perpetuate the disparity, but help close that gap of mm -hmm. access to information by starting something small and continuing with it. Sustainability, right? Consistency is key. Well, I appreciate your intellect. Thank you for being a role model and your leadership and talent continue to inspire, you know, and the love squad and all of the other things you are doing will continue to do that. But before I let you get out of here, I have a handful of rapid fire questions that I like to call Gone in 60 seconds. You ready to do this, Ali Love? I am. You, I am ready. I'm nervous, but go. I'm ready. Here we go. You hosted a Beyonce theme class for Peloton. What is your favorite song by Queen B? Oh, gosh. This is hard. Um, I think that I, <laughs> this one is not fair. Can it, is it one with Upgrade You? I'm going to go with Upgrade You. I think she just flying Upgrade You. What's going to be the next big thing in fitness? Ooh, I don't know, but I assume like, you know, Peloton, we be hot, we, we be in the gym. So we be, we be in the lab working on some things. So I, I definitely know, keep a lookout because Peloton's always innovating. So it's a Peloton thing. Must have hair product. 
<laughs> must have hair product. Um, besides the old school grease that I put in my hair, it, it's probably Bumble and Bumble Curl Cream. And last but certainly not least, what is the proudest moment of your career so far? The proudest moment of my career. I'm going to say this. Um, I think it's coming up. I just got engaged in December and we're having a wedding. So I think while I want to say it's something that's work related, because my personal life and professional life are intertwined, the fact that I get to marry my best friend, the love of my life, and like our families get to witness like this, this love, this black love, this real love, it's incredible. So I, I, I will say it hasn't happened yet, but it's going to happen this summer. Well, you and he deserve all of the best. I love it. Love it. Thank you so much, Jalen. This is incredible. Thank you very much. Appreciate the love. Last call. Last call. I'd like to thank Allie Love for stopping by the podcast. She has such a positive attitude and terrific energy. I found her story to be inspiring, especially how she dedicated her life to being physical after experiencing such a horrific accident. She heard medical professionals tell her no. She wouldn't dance again. She wouldn't run again. And she decided for herself that she would against all odds. Like Allie Love, I had a horrific scare. Detroit Southwestern hosting our crosstown PSL rival, Detroit Cooley, the reigning state champions who we beat in the city championship the year before. This was our rival. The gym is packed. Southwest, South Southwest, on our side, on their side, C-O-O. L-E-Y, Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid, Kool-Aid High. The intensity was in the building. I'm coming down the left wing, fall in my left hand. I go up for a dunk. Ken Conley clotheslines me. I fall immediately, hit my head, go into convulsions. I'm unconscious. The gym is silent. I'm not moving. They put me on a stretcher, wheel me across the gym, 94 feet, we go out of the public school, gym doors. The winter of Detroit just opened my eyes. And I look up, my late mother, Jeannie Rose, was standing over me in tears. We were in the back of the ambulance. They were rushing me to the hospital. A high school All-American just got clotheslined, went into convulsions. I get to the hospital, crazy x-rays. I have to stay there for a couple of days. They told me my neck was in bad shape, my spine was in bad shape, and prepare for the worst. What would I do without basketball? Basketball is everything to me. I had to ponder that thought. Fortunately, I slowly started to recover and missed one game at Chatsy. And I remember the team going in for halftime. I was so stiff, could barely lift my arms above my shoulders. Just flipping the ball up, trying to see if I can make a shot. And as I started to get better, my health came back. My game came back. So we were the PSL city and state champions that year. We won the national championship that year. We're the only ones standing in our way. Remember, the past is in your head, but the future is in your hands. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.